I went back and forth trying to decide what I wanted to teach on today. We've been in a series about David, and we've been talking about David and breaking down the life of David, and David is one of the most amazing characters in all the Bible. He's probably one of the greatest leaders in all the Bible. And we've been looking at the life of David and how God takes just a little shepherd boy and he brought him up to be king and how God can use anybody and God uses who he wants to use when he chooses to use them. And then we talked about David. Of course, the most popular story of David is David and Goliath. And we talked about defeating the giants in your life. Then we took a break last week and we just reminded you of the goodness of God. We got off the series. There was a lot of fear in our country, a lot of uncertainty in our country. And if you missed that message, I think it'd be a blessing to you. You can go to actionchurch.tv and check that out. And, And today I didn't know, should I stick on the theme of last week or should we get back to our series on David? And I just finally came to this conclusion. There just needs to be some sense of normalcy in our society. In a day and time where the kids aren't in school and we're not going to work and people are worried about their finances, maybe just for a little bit we get out of that mindset and we get back to what we were doing. And so if you're tuning in today and you've been tuning into churches all over Facebook, it's probably going to be a little different message because here's the deal. I'm not going to get up here today and remind you that God isn't surprised by the storm and I'm not going to get up here today and I'm not going to remind you that God has got us through all this. So let me make this very clear. God has got us through this. But I just want to go back to our series on David, and I want to talk about this man. Here's the verse that we've been hanging out in David, 1 Samuel 13, 14. And they're going to Saul, who's the king at the time, and it says, but now your kingdom will not endure. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. And I think that's a very telling verse. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. We live in this day and time, especially in the church. Matter of fact, definitely in the church. The church has this criteria on who people God can use. They've got to look a certain way and act a certain way and and be a certain way and believe a certain way and have a certain political affiliation and love a certain way. And we have all these man-made rules, yet God looks out and says, man, that person that you think that I would be least likely to use That's who I'm going to use. And as you study out the life of David, you'll see that he was a great leader. You'll see that he was a great person. You'll see that he did many great things. But you'll also see that he screwed up a lot. Somebody say amen today. He messed up a lot. He did not have it all together. And here's the great thing to me about David. He didn't try to act like he had it all together. The church is full of a lot of fake fake-ass people that don't know how to respond, and they want everyone to think they've got everything together instead of being like, man, this is who I am. You take me in my muck, and you take me in my mess, and you take me with my dirty rags, and God looks at us and says, I can still use that person. And we've been looking at David, and everything in David's life, even though we've talked about him becoming the king, and we've talked about him slaying the giant, every tale in the life of David is not a tale of victory. And today we're going to look that even for a guy who seemed to have it all together like David, even David screwed up. And I think that's an important message for us today because there's not a person here today, there's not a person watching online who at one time or another hasn't screwed up. There's not a person anywhere that at one time or another hasn't done something that everyone around them thought, man, that person just ruined their life with that call. And the problem when those things come is we come along and we think, man, God can no longer use us, yet we'll see that after David screw up, that God used him over and over and over. We'll be hanging out in 2 Samuel and the Bible says this. 
The Bible says in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says, in the spring, don't miss this, there's a lot of truth right here in this verse. The Bible says, at the time when the kings go off to war, they're going off to war, they're going off to defeat more countries. Normally when a country goes off to war, the person leading the charge would be the king. Any good leaders always in the front. Normally the king would be out there. It says, at a time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed, it goes on to talk about the countries they'd be, and it said, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's a very telling verse to me. David has hit the point, he has finally become the king. We've taken you from shepherd boy to king. He's defeated Goliath. He has now overthrown Saul and he's become the king. And Israel has become the most powerful nation in the world. And now it's time to become more powerful. Now it's time to go out and to defeat more countries. And David, as any good king should have been doing, should have been leading that charge. But he sent his right-hand man out. And it says, David remained in Jerusalem. And this is where the problems begin to start for David. David stayed home when he should have been leading his men. If he had gone to war like he should have been, had David been where he should have been, we'd have never had the next three chapters in the Bible. We'd have never been in that situation. And isn't that how you and I get in trouble sometimes? We get busy doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We get busy going to places we shouldn't be going. We get busy playing around with things that we shouldn't be playing around with. And we think, man, it seems like an innocent thing. Everybody's going to go off to war and I'm going to stay home. But what happens is we start to dabble with stuff and those urges to dabble get bigger and bigger and bigger. He, he wasn't doing what King should have been doing. At these times is when we're the most acceptable, if you will, to destroying our life. What's the old adage? Idle hands are the devil, devil's playground. David was at home. He's going about his daily things, but he's not home alone. He goes up on top of his roof. How nice to be able to roll up on top of your castle. You got a castle, you're like, I'm going to go hang out on the roof. We don't know what he was doing up there, but he went on the roof to take a walk, to breathe, maybe to look over his country, look over his kingdom. And he looks over to another rooftop, and there's a lady. We know her name is Bathsheba as we go on to study that out. And David sees her, and she catches his eye. Now, here's the deal. Let me go ahead and make this clear to you. The fact that she caught his eye is not the problem. The problem is she caught his eye, and he kept looking. And those looks became an action. He summoned, summoned him to her chambers. He had his way with her. They had an affair. And David begins to go down the path of losing God's blessing. The sin begins to take over in his life. It didn't matter to him if he was married, that she was married. Later, though, things get real, real. Bathsheba hits him up. Maybe she hit him up on Snapchat. I don't know. Facebook Messenger. I don't know how she did it. But she got a message to the king and said, Hey, that night we were together, I'm pregnant now. And David begins in the process that so many of us have to do when we go down that path. He began to cover up his sins. He decides, man, if the Jerusalem star ever gets a hold of this and puts it on the front page of the tabloids, I'm ruined. So he says, man, I've got a plan. And aren't we that type person who always thinks we have a plan? We think we can cover up our sin and we can outsmart God. So what David does is, is he sends a message to Joab and asks for Bathsheba's husband to be sent back home. 
He wants Uriah to be sent back home. He wants Uriah to think he's being rewarded for being such a great soldier. And David's logic is Uriah will come home. He will have a couple of days off. He'll sleep with his wife. And it won't seem real weird that his wife all of a sudden's pregnant. But he ran into a problem. Uriah had more character at this time in his life than David did. Uriah was a noble man. He, he was a good leader. And he refused to go in with his wife. He said, I can't go in with her when my fellow soldiers are out fighting. So David, trying to cover up his sin even deeper, gets Uriah drunk. He says, man, if he gets drunk, there ain't no way a drunk guy who's been out on the battlefield is going to turn down being able to be with his wife. But even after Uriah got drunk, he sat outside his front door and refused to go in the house. And the Bible says this, the Ark of the, this is Uriah's thinking here. The Ark of Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will never do such things. What an honorable man. Now David is in panic mode because people are going to begin to ask the question, how did Bathsheba get pregnant? Uriah wouldn't go into her. Uriah was off at the battlefield. Uriah was brought home and he still wouldn't go. Matter of fact, things have got worse now because now Bathsheba is pregnant. Everyone knows she wasn't with her husband and everyone now knows what a noble man Uriah was in the process. So David has to get deeper into his sin and that's what sin will do to you. It will take you deeper and deeper and deeper. You'll tell one lie to cover up another lie, to cover up another lie, to cover up another lie. And I don't know what your sin is today, but we all know what it is in our life. That thing that has us imprisoned as the band just performed that song, that thing that hurt in our life, that happened in our life, that hang up in our life. We all have different sins in our life. Maybe some of them are sexual sins. Maybe some of them are addiction sins, maybe some of them are anger sins or emotional sins or mental sins or physical sins. I don't know what it is today that has you in that prison, but I know that it's affecting your life and it's consuming your life and it's keeping you from living the life that God intended for you to live. Now David's in a real bind. Uriah refused to do something. So David takes his sin a whole nother level. He brings Uriah in. And he gives them a sealed letter, it had the king's seal on it, and told Uriah, when you get back to the battlefield, I want you to give this to Joab. I want you to give this to my general. What, what Uriah didn't know was he was carrying his own death sentence. It was a letter from the king that one said, Uriah gets back, put him on the front lines of the battle, so he's insured of one thing and one thing only, and that's death. And David was a classy guy when he was in his sin. Sin will make you be somebody you never thought you could be. The, le the letter said this, put Uriah on the front line where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him. So don't only put him on the front line, put him where the shit's hitting the fan, and when it gets real tense, I want you to back up and leave him all alone so he'll be struck down and die. The plan was carried out. Uriah, the husband of Abishiba, was killed. David allowed Bathsheba the, the proper mourning for this time, and then he brought her into his home to be his wife and in the process of covering up his sin. About a year later, 
things have hit the fan. David is in this funk. David is, Israel is not quite as powerful as they used to be. The weight of David's sin is weighing on him. And the Lord sends a prophet. I got to give you all this background today, and we'll get into the message real quick. So David screwed up. He's done all this stuff. And now the prophet of God, the man of God has come to David, and he begins to tell David a story. Now, David would have listened to the prophet because the prophet had words directly from God. This was a different day, and it was a different time, and the prophet comes to David, and David is in this funk. His sin has taken over in himself. He's probably not the person that he's used to being. And he says, David, I want to tell you a story. He says, there, was a, there were two men in a certain town, one poor, and the other one was rich. The rich man had a very large number of sheep, And the rich man had a very large number of cattle. But he said, but the poor man only had one sheep. He had one lamb, one little baby lamb, and the man loved that lamb. And he cared for that lamb. He said that one man, the poor man who had the one lamb, the lamb grew up with his children. It shared its food. It drank from his cup, slept in his arms. With everything that is in them, that poor family loved that lamb because it was one of their only possessions. It was almost in some ways, Nathan said, like a daughter to him. One day, the rich man was entertaining a traveler. Now, remember, the rich man had thousands of sheep, thousands of cattle. And it came time to prepare a meal for the traveler who was coming. And instead of going out and taking one of his own sheep and one of his own cattle, he went and took the one lamb from the poor person the person who had nothing, the person who had less, the person who only had one lamb, and he slaughtered that man's lamb to feed the traveler. As Nathan is telling this story to David, David goes on tilt. David is beside himself with fury. David was a man of justice. He was the king. He wanted the guy who had had his one lamb taken care of. He wanted him fixed. And so here's what the Bible says. As surely as the Lord lives... The man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. No grace from David. No mercy from David in this situation. Nothing but anger and frustration and a sense of justice for the person who had the one lamb taken. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. The Lord has blessed you richly. He has protected and provided for you. He's given you the house of Judah and Israel. And that was not enough. And that had not not been enough, he would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord and do such an evil thing? Why did you strike down Uriah and take his wife? Nathan was a pimp. He showed up on the scene, gave this story, got David all riled up and said, man, actually the story's about you. You could have had any woman you wanted You could have had anything you wanted, but the one thing you couldn't have because it it, it was bonded together with somebody else, that's what you took, and then you killed her husband to cover up your sin. When the prophet came to David and he told David this, his sin began to weigh down him. It literally destroyed David mentally. It destroyed David emotionally. He knew the sin that he had been keeping quiet was now out there, and God had told the prophet all about it, and he was destroyed. And and I get to thinking about David, and I think about Nathan coming to him, and I'm thinking, how did David feel during that time? 
What were the thoughts that were going through his mind as he was deep with the guilt of sin in his life? And then I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if David actually wrote down his thoughts on what he was going through during this time? I bet if he'd wrote down his thoughts, it'd be a great lesson for us on the evils of sin and the redemption of sin. Well, lucky for us, David did write down his thoughts in Psalms 51. If you've never read the 51st Psalm, I would encourage you, you're just going to get little bits of it today, I would encourage you to go back and read it this week. It's a powerful portion of Scripture. It's David journaling his thoughts and his pain and his sorrow as he realized the evil that he's done and he realized the sin that is now controlling his life. And he teaches us in this 51st Psalm all about sin. He teaches us the good, the bad, the ugly of sin. (laughs) Now we need to understand what sin is to make sure we're all on the same page. (laughs) All sin is an offense to God. It is all falling short of God's standard for our life. And and there's really two types of sin, if you will. I don't want to get too deep into this today, but there's two types of sin. There's the sins of omission. That's when we fail to do what we know we should do. The Bible says in James 4, 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. This This is when we know, man, I should do this, I shouldn't do that, and we do what we want to do anyway. That's a sin of omission. We just decide to do our own thing. And there's the sin of commission. The sin of commission. These are the attitudes that we have, the outward acts that we do, if you will. Paul lays these out in Galatians. He gives a pretty good list, though it's not an exhaustive list. He says, uh, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. He goes out and says these are, these are actions or attitudes that we take. But in Psalms 51, David begins to lay out the process of sin. And here's what I want you to know today. As you're dealing with whatever it is you're dealing with today, I don't know what it is. And let me tell you a little secret about me. I don't want to know. And I, 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 this is going to sound real unsympathetic. And if you're watching online, you're probably not going to get it because you don't know me. I, I just don't care. And it's not, I don't, I don't care because I, not because I don't love you, it's because I love you, I don't care. I, because I love you, I, I'm not worried about what you're involved in, I know what God can do through it. I know that God can take your mess and use it for ministry. I know that God can take the biggest cluster in your life and use it to, to further the cause of Christ. So here's the deal, I'm not so much concerned with what you're going through and what you're involved in as much as I am that you get in the process of sin and you understand some things through that. The first thing that David learned in Psalms 51 is he learned very simply this, there is a price for sin. There is a price for sin. Look what he wrote in Psalms 51. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse from me my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It's powerful. He said, my sin is always before me. I I, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop meditating on it. Against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother conceived me. Here's what you need to understand something. Listen, David learned that there's a price 
for sin. I've said this a thousand times. I didn't write this, but I've said it over and over and over, and it's so true. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Listen, there's a price for our sin. Sin stains our life. In verse 2, David said, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We need to understand today that when we're left to our own devices and we're left to where we're in that prison of our hurts and we're in the prison of our habits and we're in the prison of our hang-ups and that we're, we're blazing our own trail and we're living by our own rules because we think that we know better, we need to understand there's a consequence for sin. Sin stains. Sin tarnishes. It, it ruins our name, our reputation, it puts a dark spot on all that we do. There's things I've done in my past that no matter what I do, people won't forget. Some of you watching online right now are saying, yeah, I know what those are. All right, because you can't forget. Because sin will ruin. I, I saw an illustration one time where a guy had a big vase of pure water. He opened up a water bottle, he poured it in, and he asked people, how many people would drink this water? And everybody in the place raised their hand. And, and then, it's kind of gross, but it's what he did. He took just a small, yeah, I, I, I don't know where he got it from, but he had dog crap, and he took just this little speck, just minuscule speck of dog manure, and he put it in the water, mixed it up, and when he put it in the water, you couldn't see it. The water looked just as clear as it was before. But then he asked the crowd, he said, how many of you now would drink this water? And it's funny, not a one of them raised their hand. Sin stains our life. It tarnishes our life. Even when it isn't public knowledge, God knows. It separates. David said, against you only have I sinned. We need to understand that when we sin, yes, we sin against other people, but we always sin against God. We put a barrier up between us and God. We, we put a strain on the relationship between us and God. It puts this, this guilt on us. The Bible said, my sin is always before me. There's just this unquenchable negative power that comes from sin. Sin has the ability to destroy our life. There's consequences for our sin. Somebody said, is all sin equal? I, I, I said, I don't know that all sin is necessarily not equal. Sin is sin, but there's different consequences to different sin. If I go into the convenience store today and I steal a candy bar, or if I go to the car lot and I steal a car, I've stole something. But there's different consequences for what I've stolen. There's different consequences for our sin. It's funny, we like to give out those consequences for people's sin. We don't see sometimes the consequences that they're going through. I've shared this story before. I was counseling a couple one time and he had walked in on his wife having an affair and like any guy he did, what any of us would do, he beat the crap out of the guy and he went to prison for like three years for assaulting the guy and he got out and he said, man, nothing happened to her. She was doing what was wrong just as Matt and I thought to myself, you have no idea what's going on in her I was counseling her at the same time, couldn't share what I knew about her with him. But man, she was going through hell. She was in an abusive relationship. She had got addicted to pain pills. There was so much her children hated her. There were so many consequences that led directly back to her sin that he couldn't see. We need to understand there's a price for our sin. But I want to show you something else that David learned. David learned about the pardon of sin. The pardon of sin. I, I, I'm hoping that when I said that word pardon, there was a virtual in everyone's homes across the country today at amen. 
Because as bad as our sin is, no matter what we've done, there's always a pardon for our sin. He said in Psalms 51 verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. This, this, this verse is so powerful as David's talking, but he's telling us what a pardon isn't. <laughs> David realized there's nothing I can do to earn the forgiveness of God. There's nothing I can do physically to atone for my sacrifices. And that's what we think. We think to ourselves when we screw up, man, I'm just going to make sure my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Or if I go through a year of suffering or a year of pain, I've paid my dues. And that's not how it works. There's this group in Mexico who practice the art of self-denial and suffering. Every Easter, every Easter, they beat themselves with rods to show devotion to Christ and to hear and earn his favor. They do it until the point that their white robes are turning red with blood. Seems a little extreme to me. Seems a little weird to me. But the fact of the matter is we do the exact same thing. I'll let my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds because I did that. Man, I messed up over in this area. Man, I'm going to make sure I'm in church every single Sunday. I'm going to give more and I'm going to serve more. And I'm going to read my Bible more and volunteer more. And we punish ourselves by taking things away. I, I'm not going to drink anymore as a result of that. Or I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And we deny ourselves thinking that if we do these acts, we receive the pardon of God. But he says in the, verse, the next verse, he said, these things don't work. Then in verse 17, he says, here's what does work. He said, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. <laughs> David begins to point out what a pardon is. David points out that our God is a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. He's a loving God. God. We find the pardon by simply coming to God humbly with repentance and a desire to change. You want that pardon from God? Come to him asking him for forgiveness. I didn't read the rest of the verse when Nathan said, man, David, you're the man. When, when, when he's confronted, David didn't perform any ritualistic acts. He didn't give no fancy worded speeches. He, 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 he just simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. When he was confronted and he said, you're the man and this is your sin, he simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan looked at him and said, the Lord has taken away your sin and you're not going to die. He owned up to his sin. He didn't make excuses for his sin. He didn't justify his sin. He didn't try to explain away his sin. He owned up to his sin and immediately got the pardon that God gives to us when we screw up. Aren't you glad we serve a God today who's willing to pardon us when we mess up? Aren't you glad today you serve a God who understands that we're not going to be perfect? He understands we're going to screw up. He's not a God of second chances today. He's a God of thousand chances and two thousand chances. The church is big cliches, man. We're a second chance place. No, we ought to be a two thousand chance place. Because aren't you glad God gives us that kind of mercy? 
And aren't you glad God gives us that kind of grace? God cares about the heart. He always has. All this is just a show. Our deeds are just a show. Our church attendance is just a show. How much we give is just a show. Now, I believe when you truly are following Christ, there's some disciplines you're going to want to have in your life. You're going to want to be around other believers. You're going you're to give of your time, and you're going to give of your talent, and you're going to give of your treasure. But the reality is God's looking to the heart. Remember, he said, David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a flawless man. He wasn't a perfect man. But he was a man after God's own heart. His heart loved God. When we come before Christ with a heart of repentance, then we're able to have the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us from our sins. I want you to know today that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're involved in, that there's a pardon for your actions. Some people say, man, I've screwed up so bad, there's no way God, no, 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 scratch that. There's always a way, God. God offers a pardon when we come to him humble, compassionate. David learned that that sin has a price. It separates. It seizes us with guilt. And he also learned that there's a pardon that comes from it. But he also learned there's pleasure in forgiveness. There's pleasure in forgiveness Satan loves to come along and convince us that sin is pleasurable. And let's just be honest, sin is pleasurable. Hebrews 11, 24 says there's there's pleasure in sin for a season. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Sin is fun. I always say this and people get upset with me. The pastor shouldn't say, sin is fun. The consequences aren't. But there's pleasure that comes from forgiveness. There's that that removal of guilt that comes from that. If you've ever been caught up in sin, the shame that overweighs you, it's the worst thing. It's just this weighing down on you. The only way I can equate sin being fun and then dealing with the consequences, how many of you have ever had ice cream before? As you can tell, I've ate a lot of ice cream in my life. I don't know what it is about my makeup of my body, but I cannot eat ice cream without getting brain freeze. Anybody get brain freeze? Brain freeze is the most miserable thing in all the world. It's like 325 toothpicks are poked into your brain. Now here's the deal, the ice cream was awesome. It was so good. I hope Dairy Queen doesn't shut down during this time. I feel like the Lord would have it to stay open during this time because there's nothing better than a Butterfinger blizzard or an Oreo blizzard And that Oreo blizzard that has the fudge right in the middle of it, good God almighty Jesus. And now they got this new thing with a brownie stuck in it. Oh, I'm getting sidetracked, but here's the point. Ice cream, good. Brain freeze, not good. Brain freeze goes away. Ice cream, good again. That's the way sin is. Sin's fun. Then the consequences come along, and the consequences can destroy us. They can kill us, especially the guilt in our life. But when it goes away, because God offers us that forgiveness, it's one of the most freeing things that you'll ever go through. To know that God loved you so much that he forgave you. Here's the problem. God forgives us many times before we forgive ourselves. But when you understand that God's forgiveness is there, it begins to remove that guilt. 
It, it begins to restore the relationship we have with God. Sin separates us from God. Up until this point, you'll see that David and God had this amazing relationship. You'll see that they, they communicated with each other. But the sin in his life, it began to tarnish that relationship. They weren't as close anymore. God had not moved, but David had. There was tension in the air. David felt guilty, and he, he didn't feel like he could go before God. He felt like the presence of God was no longer there. He lost the joy that he found in that relationship because of the guilt. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 12, 13, I just read it to you. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. God confesses, I mean David confesses, and God forgives all in one verse. That's how quick it happens. And the relationship begins to store. How many of you have ever been through a tough time in your marriage and there's that tension there and there's that, that heartache there and one of you, you get better. I remember my wife and I went through a real rough time in our marriage and we were working on our marriage and, and, and I remember my wife coming to me and saying, man, it's time and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's time for us to get back like it is. I, I forgive you, and I'm ready to move on, and, and let's begin to rebuild that relationship. And it's like this weight's lifted off of you, and the relationship has been restored, and the communication is back, and the way things should be happening. That's the pleasure of forgiveness. It removes that guilt. It restores that relationship. And, and then it gives us a revival of purpose. I'm a huge believer that we were designed for purpose, we were created for purpose. God has given each and every one of us a calling, but when we're so caught up in sin, that sin destroys us from that purpose. It keeps us from that purpose. That's what happened to David. David went into a year-long funk from the time of Bathsheba to the 51st Psalm. We hear nothing from him. He forgot what he was created for. He forgot why he was here, who he was, and what he was supposed to be doing. He was God's chosen king. He was chose to lead God's people, the people of Israel, the spiritual and military leader. But as the forgiveness comes in his life, and he begins to understand the forgiveness in his life, he begins to renew that, that purpose in his life. And we see that, that David goes back to being the king, and he goes back to dominating, and he goes back to building Israel up and goes back to doing what he's called. When you accept that forgiveness of sin, there's pleasure in it because it restores the purpose in your life. I'm gonna wrap this up today. I'm gonna be a lot shorter than I normally am because, again, I know tension spans are a little bit short when you're watching online. But here's what I wanna ask you. What sin in your life is keeping you from living the life God created you for? What is the thing in your life that you can't let go of the thing that's eating you up, that you're paying, maybe you're in that paying the price stage right now. And God's saying, you need to move to that pardon stage. You need to humble yourself and come to me where you can get to that pleasure stage. This is a great time of self-evaluation. We're quarantined, supposedly, in our house. We're social distancing from people. Though God created us for relationships, I'm not gonna get on that hobby horse because people get mad. But, but I think it's a great time for us to self-reflect and it's time for us to think about, man, what in our life do we need to let go of where we can live the life that God was created us for? Let's pray.